good job Alex uh, has done leading our singing. And uh, of course, uh, I guess our PowerPoint is ready to go this morning. But I want to spend some time today talking about the uh, recent Supreme Court's decision on same-sex marriage. We know that on Friday, June the 26th of this year, a day that truly will live in infamy, the Supreme Court of the United States of America issued a 5-4 ruling that same-sex couples have a right to marry nationwide. This was an historic decision effectively invalidating all the bans on same-sex marriage in more than a dozen states. And of course, we know that homosexual couples could already legally marry in 36 states as well as the District of Columbia. Uh, This court's decision simply means that the remaining 14 states, most in the South and the Midwest, will have to stop enforcing their bans on same-sex marriages or they'll be forced to deal with the federal government over this issue. Now, the court used Section 1 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution to justify its ruling. Now, this amendment says in part, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, the very idea to think that this particular amendment could be used to justify same-sex marriage is really unthinkable. Why not use it to justify polygamy or other things as well? As, as Giff likes to say, that is a great disjustice, but it really is an injustice to use this amendment in this particular way. Somebody might ask the question, well, you know, why did this happen? Well, those favoring homosexuality had failed in previous attempts to accomplish their agenda. And make no mistake about it, the LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender group has an agenda, and they're very vocal about their agenda. First of all, they said that this was an alternative lifestyle, and it was presented first simply as a choice. But choices made by a social and political minority are still rejected socially and politically by the majority, And thus, they are voted down politically. Well, next, I think we remember, came the genetics argument. You know, somehow, 
homosexuality could be genetically linked, then this previous failed attempt of just simply alternative choice and its problems could be eliminated, allowing the agenda to go forward. But there was and there is a problem with this as well. Study after study has shown conclusively and manifested the idea that there is no scientific proof for a genetic cause for homosexuality. There just simply is no gay gene. And yet people buy into this idea that, you know, we're born this way. We have no choice in this particular matter. We're born this way. We don't have a choice. And yet, you know, the same thing could be said with Darwin's general theory of evolution. It has no scientific proof to to justify it. And yet, look today, it's a widely accepted fact. You know, the old adage today that a lie repeated loudly enough and a lie repeated long enough will eventually be believed as fact. Folks, there is no gay gene. There will never be any proof presented for a gay gene. There is no life beyond what's here on our planet. The reason being is because life comes from a creator. It comes from a designer. And, you know, if the government would just listen, we could literally save them billions of dollars as they, <coughs> excuse me, as they try to, to find life outside of our planet. It just does not exist. And so the genetics argument simply does not work. Well, next came the attempt to make <coughs> homosexuality a civil rights issue rather than just a choice or rather than something that is just for genetics. You know, to try to link uh, the nation's past against racial minorities, the atrocities that took place back in uh, our history with the present social minority. I'm going to leave the PowerPoint alone. It's not working. If they want to operate it up there, they can, but I'm done with it. And so uh, they wanted to link the atrocities that certainly are well documented regarding the civil rights that have taken place in the past and the violation of those rights. And uh, certainly to take something like gay marriage and same-sex marriage and to link that with something that is so credible as the civil rights movement, perhaps one of the greatest movements in the history of the world. And those who advocate and those who gave their lives trying to work for the civil rights movement ought to be appalled that such a movement would be used to try to justify same-sex marriage. And I believe the court's decision manifests great success 
in this attempt, despite the obvious fact that discrimination on the basis of race is different from discrimination on the basis of social lifestyle. You just can't compare the two. It's comparing apples to oranges. And so we see why this happened. Let's look at the important topic now of how this happened. Now, folks, I'm very disappointed in that decision. Maybe I was hoping against hope. I don't know. But I was hoping somehow that maybe we would achieve a victory, that perhaps this would come to an end that would be good for God and good for Christianity. And yet we know that the Supreme Court has long been a legislative branch rather than a judicial one, thus reflecting the most vocal and vehement uh, collective wisdom of our age in which man rejects and suppresses God's wisdom and worship for his own wisdom and self-worship, as we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. We know that the wisdom of this world is folly with God, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. But the Supreme Court's decision reflected the folly that has been presented by the wisdom of men. And really, this should shock no one who has stopped and paid any kind of attention to our nation's history in the last 75 or so years. You see, first of all, we begin to reject God's wisdom for our own in the arrangement of the home regarding the primary roles and responsibilities of marriage beginning in the 1940s. Because of World War II, women were instantly placed in the workforce to try to produce for our men and the military overseas. And from that time since now, the home really has never been the same again. And now it's developed to the point where within the last couple of years, the traditional family mom and dad and kids, for the first time in our nation's history, has become the minority. And so it began in the 1940s. We rejected God's wisdom for our own regarding the roles of men and women in marriage and in the home. Secondly, we began to reject God's wisdom for our own when it comes to the proper parenting of children in the 1950s. Of course, we know that Dr. Spock had his influence, and that influence is still something that we're feeling today. And we rejected God's wisdom, and we began to fail to discipline our children the way the Bible teaches us to discipline our children. And we got away from that. And now we're seeing the results. And then we rejected God's wisdom for our own regarding the sanctity of marriage and the free love of the 1960s. See, you got the 40s, the 50s, and now the 1960s. We see the sanctity of marriage is under fire. And now we see that 
Free love is the way to go. Don't bound marriage. Don't say that marriage is one man for one woman for life. Express your love to anybody in any way that you feel. And then we begin to reject God's wisdom for our own as to when life as the natural product of marriage begins with Roe versus Wade in the 1970s. Of course, we know in the last 43 or so years, some 60 million babies have been murdered since the Supreme Court legalized their slaughter. And then finally, in the 1980s, when the free love children of the 60s ostensibly grew up and the consequences of abandoning God's wisdom regarding marriage and the home began to ravage our country with both disease and divorce, we again rejected his wisdom for our own by seeking social solutions. We tried to find political solutions to all of our problems rather than a spiritual one of repenting and returning to God's ways regarding marriage and the home. And then finally, in the 1980s or in the last two decades and a half, we've continued further down the pathway of rejecting God's revealed wisdom for our own by either rejecting the institution of marriage altogether. Now, you know, people don't see any need for marriage. A lot of people just live together now. And, of course, there's the corrupting of marriage by reconstituting and rearranging it for our own selfish purposes. And so now we live in a time in which marriage is not very sacred at all. And yet we find people just living together, choosing to do what they please. And I think this most recent decision by the court then is just another logical step begun on a journey when we rejected God's wisdom for our own regarding the plan, the purposes, the products, and the protections of marriage, and now we've changed the participants. So you see, it just didn't happen overnight. Just look at our history over the last 75 years, and we can see how this happened. Yet the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 3 through 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That we haven't done. Don't lean on your own understanding. We've done that. We've used our own wisdom. We've used our own judgment. We've turned away from what God wants and what God desires. And we've made decisions and we've disregarded biblical authority. And that's how it happened. But what allowed these things to happen? Well, in society, truth has become relative. By that I mean truth really isn't objective anymore. There's nothing really right. There's nothing really wrong. Whatever's right for me may not be right for you. What's wrong for me may not be wrong for you. And who can say that this is right and this is wrong? And you have absolutely no right to say this is how it is and this is how it isn't. 
And so truth became relative to our own interpretation. It's what I think about something. It's how it affects me personally. Truth became relative to our emotions, that is, our hearts. We began to decide that what we think and what we feel about something, that's the primary criteria for making any decision. How do I feel about this? That's why today, even in the church, you can actually take the Bible and some even in the church today might say, well, I I know the Bible says this, but so what? I feel this way. Or I strongly think that way. And then, of course, it became relative to application, how we live and how we act and how we conduct ourselves. And in religion... We have followed society and reflected society rather than leading society and reflecting God. And we've done that. We have reflected, we have followed society, we've reflected society, for example, by catered worship to please the worshiper rather than the one to be worshiped. We're trying to give people what they want. We dare not be offensive by anything that we teach or preach. And so we cater worship to meet the needs of people rather than what pleases God. We've also followed society and reflected it in that we've dumbed down worship and Bible classes. In some churches today, everything is just superficial. In some churches today, you can go to a Bible class and there may not even be any mention of a particular scripture. When we begin talking about in Bible classes, well, you know, I feel this way. You know what I think about this? And you see, we stay away from what God's Word says. And we superficially approach worship and our Bible classes, and we never really learn God's truth. And I think we've also followed society and reflected it in that we've created, we've allowed a spiritual buffet where only the pleasing parts of the Word of God are taken or even offered. Whereas the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, we only talk about that which pleases men. People today don't talk about sin. They don't talk about distinction. For example, the distinction of the church. How Christ built his church. How that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, everybody's going to heaven, right? You're just going your way, and I'm going my way. And so we offer a spiritual buffet to people so that the parts we present are pleasing to the ears. And a lot of people today have decided that the Bible, number one, is outdated. Number two, they've decided that maybe it is of questionable origin or accuracy. People have also decided that, you know, the Bible is subjective at best. 
You know, can we really say that the Bible is saying this? And people say, you know, the Bible even cannot be understood anyway. You see, that's how this has happened. And so we've come to this point now. We look at our culture. Sex outside of marriage is really no big deal anymore. You know, going to parties and drinking, that's just how society functions today. We've been desensitized. We have tolerated these kinds of things. And if we're not careful, it won't even phase the next generation. We look at what's depicted on television. We see what's being displayed to our young people today. And even for those that have grown up in the church today that have been taught well, the pressure to conform to culture and to society is so very strong. And even sometimes we say, is that really so bad after all? You know, here's two people that love each other. They're committed to each other. If they live together, do they really have to get married? Why have we gotten the way we are? Well, it was a gradual process. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. and Let's talk about how Christians have responded to this particular decision of the Supreme Court. Well, one way that people have responded to this decision is in vehement anger. In spite of James 1 verse 19, which says, Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've been very angry. I have been very bothered by this to a great degree. And we cannot let anger control our lives. It makes me very angry when I see Christians who ought to know better to turn against that which they know is true and know is right. And they turn away from that which they know to be true and right and begin to do something else. It causes us to be angry. Maybe there is a right place for justified anger, but we cannot let anger control us. Others have responded in this way, maybe in talk of rebellion and even secession. Have you heard folks talk about how we need to secede from the union again? But all this talk is in spite of what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 13. Listen to what he says carefully. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and of course the emperor of Rome was as corrupt as they come, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. See, I can't use my freedom in Christ to say, well, I don't have to obey this particular 
law that I don't like or I don't have to obey this particular law because it's not my particular preference. There's no place for rebellion against the government for a Christian. Some have responded in hand-wringing fear. You know, woe is me. The world is coming to an end. The sky is falling. And, you know, on and on people preach a a gloom and doom future for the church. We might as well give up and quit. And yet, people respond that way in spite of what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Listen to what it says. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You will be blessed. Did you hear that? Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that is in you in gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What have we got to fear? God's on our side. God's in control. And if we suffer for righteousness' sake, Peter says we are blessed. Well, quickly, how should Christians respond today to this decision and whatever else may come about as a result of this decision. We've seen how some Christians do respond, but how should we respond? First of all, let me suggest that we need to submit to the government. People say, you're crazy? You lost your mind? Well, listen to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whosoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then you do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath against the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Now I want you to remember maybe three points From here, number one, the government under consideration here was the Roman government. 
Just like the Jewish government before it, it confiscated property. It persecuted Christians. And Paul's saying about governments like this, you submit to the government. You remember number two, the example of Jesus Christ and his submission to Jewish and Roman authorities. The Bible says about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but trusted in him who judges righteously. And you think about, thirdly, God throughout history. God's always used evil governments to accomplish his good purposes. You think about Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and the Greek civilization, Israel and Rome. Christians must submit to the government. Number two, we can also respond by using legal means to protect and to defend ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul only used legal means to protect and defend himself. Acts 22. He was a Roman citizen. And he legally used that means. He did not misuse his miraculous power given him by God to free himself. And neither can we misuse the power that we have in Christ today, the freedom we have in Christ to try to justify things that simply cannot be done. Uh, Another way we can respond is by using legal and scriptural means to promote God's word and cause. Now, Though things are surely changing in our country today, we can still use freedom of speech. We can still use the freedom of religion. We can use technology, travel, time. We can use our financial resources to persuade man with the word of God. But folks, we are not at liberty to fight with carnal weapons to promote God's cause. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. Another way we can respond is by obeying God rather than men when there's a conflict between the two and when it's necessary. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 26, we know that when the apostles were jailed for preaching the word and using their miraculous power to help and to heal people, an angel of the Lord freed them and urge them to continue to preach. And once found doing so by the authorities, they were subsequently arrested and accused again. Verses 26 through 28, they stated their commitment to God. We must obey God rather than men. And they legally used that occasion to preach to their captors. Verses 30 through 32, they were ultimately beaten. They were commanded not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. And they were released in verse 40. But they kept right on obeying God and teaching every day from the temple and from house to house. Now certainly civil disobedience is allowed. It's even required when and only when. The laws of man conflict with the laws of God. But even though civil obedience is allowed, there's never to be disrespect. There's never to be resistance to arrest or to punish. And there's never to be any retaliation. We do what God says no matter the consequences. 
Another way that we can respond, though, is by being willing to suffer for what is right and yet still rejoice. I don't know what's ahead for true believers who are as equally committed as the apostles to obey God rather than man and who are committed to preach and teach Jesus Christ. I don't know what is ahead, but whatever persecutions may come, we have to arm ourselves with the mindset of following the example of these men and of Christ himself. I fear the time is going to come when it's going to be illegal to preach against same-sex marriage. There are already some local laws on the book that would say that you can't do this anymore. We don't know where it's going to lead. But whatever may happen, we need to be willing to suffer for what's right. And just like those in the first century, we need to rejoice that we've been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I hope you'll remember 1 Peter 4 and verse 19 as we close. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Keep that in mind. Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, folks, we're disappointed in the decision, but we're not surprised. We've been murdering babies for over 43 years, so why in the world would a decision like this actually surprise us. We don't lose hope, but we trust in God. We know that God is always in control. And we don't know what the future is going to hold. We don't know exactly where all this is going to lead. But as Christians, we know who holds the future. And we live our lives each day. We wake up in the morning. We endeavor to do what's right. We determine not to allow our lives to be influenced by this culture and this society. We ground ourselves firmly in the word of God, which is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance among all them which are sanctified by faith which is in him. And we bring glory and honor to our creator by doing what's right and living right every single day knowing that no matter what happens, we have a home in heaven when this life is over. This morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement, and perhaps you're one that hasn't been living as you should. Maybe you haven't been that shining light to those round about you. Maybe you're not a Christian today, and you need to come and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be saved from your past sins as you Believe in Jesus with all of your heart that he's the son of God. Repenting of your sins. Making that beautiful confession that Jesus is the son of God. And then being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning.